Welcome to the first uh, For the Love of Science podcast. I'm Jamie, and with me t- tonight is... Jibran Shabib. Okay, so the title of the show is The Philosophy of Science. Um, but first of all, Jibran, can you introduce yourself a bit? Sure. Um, yes, I'm a PhD student at the University of Zurich. I'm studying a doctorate in evolutionary theory. Um, I have varied interests in... Um, all kinds of things, but I would say, in general, I'm interested in the complexity of the universe and trying to make sense of it. Okay, so s- simple. Then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> simple thing. <laughs> okay, um, so let's, I guess we can, we should get started with, uh, with the questions. Um, so I guess uh, first we'll talk about the scientific method a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first place, the, the good place to start is with a question. So can you explain to me what a scientific question is? Um, I guess the basic of it is that um, often we look at the universe, nature or something, and we have some ideas about what, why something is the way it is. And so we get a general question where, for example, why is the sky blue or uh, why does the sheep ba or something like that? <laughs> Okay. And then um, from a question, we then develop a set of um, hypotheses. Um, so can you tell me uh, what a hypothesis is? Uh, yes. Well, a hypothesis is a more specific question. So we take a general um, idea, a why question that we have about the uh, world, and then we try to formulate something that is much more specific, that is uh, testable, um, usually with some kind of empirical um, instruments. Mm. So uh, there's obviously two types of hypotheses, right? There's your working hypotheses, and then there's your null hypotheses. So what's the difference between the two? Um, well, usually the null hypothesis is uh, what you would uh, expect to happen if the uh, thing you were testing wasn't wasn't working. Mm or didn't work how you expected it to work. Mm. Uh, usually your working hypotheses, or often called experimental hypotheses, um, is what you would uh, expect to find, or what you're really usually testing for. Mm. And so uh, if we've set out our, our hypotheses, uh, we've tested them, we've written them up, we've analyzed them, and then we find that our results match the the working or the experimental hypothesis <laughs> if we're only so lucky yeah uh so what so what can we say can we can we say that we've proven that hypothesis um well usually in science we never say we've proven stuff well i shouldn't say that there are people who do say that but i wouldn't <laughs> say that's good science um when we test our hypotheses and we um reject our null hypotheses with some amount of certainty, we can only say that we have evidence for all, uh, our alternative or experimental or working hypothesis. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so you, uh, you actually picked up something I said the other day, uh, and you said that I was wrong, and you were correct to say that. So I said, um, what did I say? I said, science can prove, uh, yeah. or the laws of <laughs> physics can prove there isn't 
there's no such thing as ghosts using the laws of motion and thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. And then you said, uh, "Well, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Did I say <laughs> I, I? I said, well, we can't really prove yeah, exactly, those yeah. things. things. Actually, some there are some things that are just hard to prove because we just don't have the instruments or the technology to." Uh, gather the empirical data to test hypotheses about those. I think ghosts might be one of those (laughs) things. It's hard to say. Who knows? Or maybe something a little bit more real when we can talk about consciousness. Yeah, consciousness. Uh, You know a lot about that. (laughs) It's a very hard construct to to test, and it's very hard to define. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, there are a few uh, research groups which are now focusing on it, um, and... The research is coming in slowly, but uh, there's still a lot of debate about what consciousness is, what constitutes consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. But so that touches on a on a point that we should really stress to people, uh, especially those who aren't scientists, is that science doesn't deal in facts. It's not history. Yes. Um, so just providing, um, we just provide the most likely answer given the available data. So we can't say A definitely causes B. Mm-hmm. We can do some experiments to suggest that A may cause B. Yes. Um, well, there's, there's a lot in that, I guess. <laughs> um, so what we do is, uh, again, we create hypotheses and we do tests that we try to rule out everything but what we think is the causal factor to try to um, find good evidence that it is the thing that is causing it but again all we're doing is building evidence for the hypotheses that uh, we have tested and you can build lots and lots of evidence towards some hypotheses and enough evidence you might say uh, leads to a theory but um, beyond that I think it's wrong to be like to say oh yes we're right about this or we've shown this or we've proven this yeah, so you, so you said something in that, which is uh, it, it's, uh, it's very important. You said it. So a theory, so like the theory of evolution. Yeah. So I mean, what do we mean by theory? Yeah, well, I guess there's certainly some debate about that because um, uh, maybe if you ask a physicist, they might have a different idea of what a, or a mathematician of mm-hmm. what a theory is compared to a biologist. But I will take the most general road and say that if we have developed enough evidence for a particular hypothesis over a long enough period of time or we've just accumulated enough evidence by testing the hypotheses necessary to uh, rule out all other alternative hypotheses that we have come up with then we can say yeah I think we have a theory here. Mm. Yes I mean that's a good definition of a scientific theory. Uh, and another point that we should also point out to non-scientists is that science isn't infallible. So, I mean, someone can come along and someone can design a better experiment, collect more data, um, and they can prove your your research, your study is wrong. Uh, and as scientists, we, ex- well, we don't, like, accept it. We, <laughs> uh, yeah. We then to ex- varying degrees, <laughs> we want that to happen or not. Yeah, but we accept yeah. it as a, a, an alternate hypothesis. Yeah. Um, but then scientists will then, but then that provides more questions because then we have these two competing hypotheses that we, we, we can then explore. So actually, rather than giving us more work, it gives us more fun. Well, I mean, 
I guess it depends on what you're in science for. <laughs> I think a lot of scientists are in it for the curiosity yeah. itself, the trying to access knowledge in some way. And um, many of many scientists would be um, okay with learning that something that they believed was true in the past is no no there's n evidence for the opposite or a different hypothesis that makes more sense that uh, we have accumulated evidence for as well. Um, what else was I going to say about that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I can't remember. <laughs> I remember. Go on. Um, so, and then along those lines, so the, the most common thing, or the thing that excites scientists is when they say, I don't know. Yeah. So I like to, I mean, this is super geeky and mm -hmm. hardly anyone is going to get this uh, <laughs> this uh, analogy but my so my knowledge is like a poisson distribution mm. where the variance increases with the mean yes uh yeah sorry about that um but yeah so uh, robin Ince, the comedian who um hosts the infinite monkey cage podcast with brian cox mm -hmm. um in one of them he says that you know you've done something right when you uh the knowledge that you know now uh, the, the the overall knowledge is less than when you were, yeah when you were a child. It seems like the mm, the older you get, the more you investigate, the more you the more knowledge quote unquote that you accumulate, the more you recognize how little knowledge we actually have of our world. Mm, I mean, I guess that could frustrate people if people yes. want answers, but for scientists, yeah. that's, uh, it's it's not really good for black and white. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, people, I mm. think that you have to be okay with the fact that uh, that your th theories and your beliefs are going to change. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, uh, when I first started the squirrel project, I think after three months, I sat back. I knew everything about the squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was like, "Well, that was easy." <laughs> and then as I started uh, yeah. researching more, I, I, I basically was just opening doors opening doors and more doors they were opening 10 doors yeah and now i know hardly anything about the squirrels yeah um but rather than frustrate me that's actually it's really fascinating because that means there's avenues which i can i can research and go down yeah definitely i can uh, i can definitely uh see that i've found those kind of things happen to me too where i where I like i'm investigating something and then as soon as i as soon as i recognize that i have learned something i always recognize that there is so much more to learn mm. okay uh so should we take a quick break sure sounds good so uh welcome back thank you <laughs> um so now we're gonna uh delve a bit more into the philosophy of science um, Wonderful, I love philosophy of science. <laughs> so I guess this will be a bit of an open debate. Um, but why do you think uh, so many people refuse to believe in science? I mean, so I just uh, raised my hands and did the quote thing. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's an audio, quote unquote. It's yeah. an audio podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I did the. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Why do I think that uh, most people don't believe in science is that well is I said, that even true I, I said so many oh okay i didn't say oh, yes. most. all right 
because that was a hypothesis that needed testing. <laughs> yeah. uh, why do why do I think so many people don't believe in science? Um, I well, there's a few answers to that. One is that um, scientists in general come off as for this for some of the reasons that we talked about earlier, as that we're not so confident or sure about our our stance on things we will often be like, yeah, we're pretty sure with this kind of probability, yeah, beyond this level of significance, we use those kind of terms instead of like, oh, yes, we definitely know that the number of these things, atoms in the universe or something, blah, 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 is this. So because we don't use absolute terms to define the kind of things that we're talking about, it might come off as uh, the fact that we don't really believe in it mm. as much as other people might believe in their whatever they believe in, and therefore it's maybe not as valid. I mean, or it's just like a stab in the dark. Yes, so. exactly. It sounds like, yeah, you know, there might there might have been a, a big explosion at the end of the at the beginning of the time or the universe or whatever, but we don't know. Um, so I think that is one thing. Um, I'm sure education makes a huge difference. I mean, I mean so, so just touching on that first point, yeah. um, I mean, I, I feel that that's uh, what has maybe spawned radical movements such as the anti-vaccine movement, is that scientists don't really have a consensus about what causes autism. So um, they think there's a genetic, uh, cognitive, neural uh, underpinning um, and these might co-occur in different combinations. Mm -hmm. There's even a suggestion of environmental and dem demographic effects. I mean, and then the issue with uh, studying humans is that there's so much variation in lifestyle, diets, yeah. um, and things like that. And mm -hmm. so it's very hard to... Um, it's You can't do control subjects as you could in, like, plants or bacteria, mm -hmm. where you can really... Um, make a standard for what the environment is like and then compare something against it. Um, I think that I think that is a very valid point. I can't really say I know that much about how much research has actually been done into uh, the effects of vaccines on things like autism and mm. other uh, variables, but as far as I know, there isn't very strong evidence for it. Mm. I, I think there was only one study where somebody actually made some kind of link, and as far as I know, that wasn't that was fraudulent in yeah. the first place. So that was Andrew Wakefield's argument. Yes. Um, but obviously, in this show, we're not trying to de debunk and attack uh, anti-vaccine people. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not trying to debunk anything by just talking about it. We're <laughs> We're empiricists, not yeah. rationalists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we well, we need to we need to make hypotheses, and we need to test those hypotheses and build evidence for yeah. the fact that yes, it is having an effect. It is causing. It is predisposing. It is whatever. But so far as I know, there is there isn't that much evidence for it. Uh, yeah. So do you think that people um, have a not have a distrust, but they would rather go for the more parsimonious answer. So, I mean... Well, I, I definitely do think that um, it is maybe easier, more convenient, um, or just 
some the way some people tick is that they need some definitive answers or they like they like things to be black and white they like to have very strong definitions mm. um and if that's if that's important to you or if that's how if that's how your brain works sometimes then having these wishy-washy answers or this yeah we have this much evidence but we're really not sure yet is not good enough for um for mothers who are trying to decide whether to vaccinate their kids or or yeah. somebody else like yeah. that so. exactly yeah um and so uh, i guess it's maybe an issue of uh scientific li- uh, literacy or the level of scientific literacy um I guess maybe people feel that scientists think they know everything. Yeah, but which is I think it's a it's a big fallacy. Definitely, I, I mean scientific literacy. Wow, I I think even among scientists, scientific literacy could could definitely be better. Yeah. Because if you had a talk with somebody about what the scientific method is, or especially what the underlying assumptions of just science in general that we take for granted as scientists when we perform experiments, we all we all implicitly, if not ex- like, we make explicit hypotheses and mm. test them. But implicitly, we have, we are believing in the fact that through a epistemological stance like empiricism, we can gain knowledge about the universe. Mm. And I think that it, once, once, if we had, if we made that more explicit, especially at a young age, where we say. This, this is what the scientific method is. This is the kind of things that we can test and learn from mm. it. And maybe these are the things that can't ever be tested or learned from it. We would probably have just stronger science in general. And we'd have better scientists and better people who could communicate scientists, science to people who didn't grow up with science education. Yeah. Um, have you got anything to add about why, peop- why so many people... Uh... Mm, yeah I mean I think yeah I think we said it so I mean I I guess you touched on the, on this point before so I mean, how do we increase the understanding of science uh, and the scientific method in society well <laughs> I um, mean again a really simple question yes <laughs> um, certainly on a systemic level it has to be in the education systems <laughs> if we're going to continue having the kind of education systems that we have it needs to be science needs to be an integral part of it and it has to be early on that we are reckon that we're getting children to recognize what the limitations and the utility of science is mm. because we science needs skeptics yeah exactly. we need to be skeptical in general about things because before. that's how science uh, improves and moves forward yeah. with people Exactly, doubting people doubting what yeah. the what past people said the scientific theories and hypotheses they had and improving upon them. I mean, I should say sometimes that comes about by technological advances mm. and theoretical advances, but mm-hmm. also by skeptics is necessary. Yeah. So, um, what do you think of the role in in media? Uh, how does that play in science? Jeez, um, <laughs> I mean that's a whole, whole <laughs> That's what we're doing right here, isn't we? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so for example, I yeah. I saw an article on an online newspaper today. Shall remain nameless. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure some of the listeners can guess. But yeah, maybe. Um, where they talk about how um, beer causes weight loss. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. And then if you look at it, it's about a certain flavonoid that was ex- uh, extracted in, in hops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I, and again, that's... So, yeah, there is a lot of... Science has become trendy in some circles or types of media, uh, but the... Uh, research that goes into making those medias sometimes not really up to snuff and it might rely on what might be considered pseudoscience more than science yeah, exactly. which is kind of just I guess uh, the difference between good good and bad uh, journalism mm-hmm. in, in general so. but I mean I guess if, uh, if, if, yes. if a scientist said Oh, sorry, if a newspaper said, oh, scientists have found a specific type of gene that may um, suppress uh, cancer cells in mice. Yes. And, um, Everybody wants that quick, easy fix. Oh, we yes, we found out that beer cures cancer, or we found out that we can turn off the gene that leads to, I don't know, hair loss or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that... I think that with everything else, as long as you recognize that all media comes with bias mm. and that you can see the bias or you can look for other perspectives, or if you do your due diligence and look for the primary sources that behind what those articles are citing and look into it and say, hey, you know what, these that's not actually what these people were saying, mm. or this is not an actual good experiment for testing what they're trying to test yeah i mean uh yeah i think that's a very fair point um, and the whole role of for love of science is to try and encourage this evidence-based thinking yeah uh so i mean if you're if, you, if you're buying a car and you go on a car company's website it, it's gonna say this is the best car on the planet yeah if you then go to the car company <laughs> a's um fan <laughs> forum yeah it's um you're just gonna um be overcome with uh, confirmation bias yeah, um, but it just really encourage people to <laughs> like every pizza shop in New York sells the best slice of uh, pizza <laughs> yeah. in the world. So, so yeah, you need to do your evidence <laughs> and just go around to all of them. Yes. Um, um, so, so I mean, you touched on it before. It's people doing their own research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's become very popular now is open access, uh, and I've done a blog on this. Yeah. So do you think open access? Um, is working? Do you think it's spreading the science love to uh, non-scientists? Well, I think that, like everything, it has its good and bad points. Mm. I do think that um, any kind of science that is publicly funded should be publicly available to anybody. That just makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense that uh, if a government is providing money to an institution and that institution is engaging in scientific research, that then the scientific research becomes like the property of some journal who mm. then sells that information to, to people. By $30 a pop. Yeah, at $30 a pop. Mm. That, to me, is incredulous. Um, but on the other hand, it's necessary for these kind of open journals to try to hold high standards mm. And I think that's the main thing that they are often criticized for. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, uh, if you look at any of the key open access journals, um, yeah, sure, it's, it's free content. But yeah. then the content of that content 
is going to be so complex it's going to go over most people's heads so, yeah so do you think uh science is crying out for a journal um even if it has no impact factor um, or anything which is basically lay science so explain their research in a very lay way and how that can benefit society well there's a, a long question <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to try to reformulate it, so yeah, I can, it. So, just so I can know I can understand it uh, do I think that there should be a place where scientists can publish their research um, even though it's not impactful or even though the journal is or, not of high impact. I mean, or, uh, so I mean, I guess that's going to inhibit their careers. Yeah. So I meant they could publish it alongside, so they could have like a lay abstract alongside a publication. Oh, I see. Um, I mean, I don't know how the publishers of well, journals will feel about that. I think that there are people who do things like that. I'm trying to think of, like, there are publishers who have, I'm trying, uh, like, MIT Review is one that they do. They, they have... There are publications that come out of um, uh, out of uh, school systems, but then there are uh, kind of media structures that are attached to them that mm. will make make t read through these papers, and they'll be uh, what I consider like really good science journalists who will kind of reformulate it and make it actually make sense to somebody who. Mm. But there, I think there definitely could be more of that. I mean, I guess um, you could also go down the open access, uh, so the trends in the evolutionary ecology tree. Trends in evolutionary <laughs> yeah, ecology. True, yeah. yeah. I mean, because every review is really simple. I mean, yeah. great. I've, I've learned so much from those reviews. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if well, I do think that I do think that reviews have a great place in science. It's for people who are, you know, excited or interested in a particular subject, but they aren't really into the deep part of it, <laughs> that it's a good bridge. Mm. Okay. Um, so have you got anything to add to that? Uh, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <that's fine. laughs> um, so I guess we, uh, we should summarize it there. Um, so in the first half, we, we spoke about the um, sort of what science is. And we really hi highlighted the point uh, that scientists don't know everything. Science no. isn't a fact. And the, the research we do do, um, it's not infallible. So someone could come along and not disprove, but um, pr provide a counter-argument for your, your research. Yeah. Um, and then in the second half, we then we got more into the philosophy of science. Yeah. And I hope you didn't get sidetracked too much. No, I, I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, thank you very much for your time, Jabron. Okay. That was uh, great. Thank you for having me on, Jamie. Uh -oh.